0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Harbor Church, located in downtown Olympia, capital city of Washington State. If you're looking for a church to belong to in the South Sound region, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship gatherings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. For more information about Harbor Church, visit our website at harborolympia.com. Good morning. I'm Pastor Steve, um, one of the pastors here at Harbor Church. Um, As many of you know, Pastor Seth is is on sabbatical um, for about three months, and so uh, the rest of the pastors will be filling the pulpit during that time. This morning, our text for the message this morning is Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 5. "'Come over to Macedonia and help us.' And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days.' And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. <clears throat> One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to, to pay attention to Paul, to what Paul was was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning that we can come before you this morning, open up your word. We we pray, Lord, that the word would prevail upon our hearts and our minds and, and transform us. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice in the words of Scripture this morning, and we just pray that you'd have your hand on uh, on this time now, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, several years ago, a friend and I took our boys fishing on Priest Lake up in northern Idaho, and we had actually hired a guide um, who took us out on his boat, and he provided all the poles and equipment. He, he provided everything for us. All we had to do really was just kind of walk on the boat, and and um, and so it was. We, we had everything we needed. Um, Priest Lake, I don't know if you're familiar with Priest Lake, but it's, it's a huge lake up in northern Idaho. But our guide seemed to know exactly where the fish would be. And so he determined where we were going to be going that day on our trip. He even set the bait and the lines for us. And, and so really all we had to do was just reel in the fish. We just kind of sat there and, and reeled in the fish we got to participate in a in a fun and, and productive day of fishing, on this magnificent, beautiful lake. But the reality was that the outcome of the day was really pre, predetermined by this guide. The guide had the he had the right boat, he had all the right equipment. Uh, he even seemed to know where the fish were and, and when they'd be there. and And so we caught a lot of fish that day, but we weren't really the reason we were catching fish. It was, it was the guide who really determined the outcome of that day. The progression of the gospel in the kingdom of Christ is, is sort of like that. We get the privilege and joy of being active participants in this amazing movement, but the gospel isn't advancing because of us. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the, the expansion of the gospel. The outcome is, is always in God's hands. Throughout the book of Acts, we see that the gospel and the kingdom of Christ is always advancing. They're they're always pushing forward and and outward into the world. And Pastor Caleb last week pointed out that even when there's conflict within the church, the gospel continues to, to push forward and advance. In Matthew 13, 31 and 32, Jesus says this. He says, "...the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field." It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a rare tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And so here we have this picture of something that, that starts small, and it, and it grows, and it pushes out, and it, and it grows in its influence in the world. And, and, and even when there's severe opposition and, and persecution, the kingdom continues to advance. What did Jesus say? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we can trust that promise because it's the Spirit of Christ that both empowers the advance of the gospel and determines where and to whom the gospel goes. And so these four men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, were participants in the advance of the kingdom, but they weren't the power behind it nor were they the determiners of where it would advance. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, as he's called in this passage, who empowers us to do the work. He determines where and how the work will be accomplished. What well, we see in this passage, that it's the Holy Spirit who also determines, who determines where the gospel will go. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary on Acts, notes that the entire book of Acts follows the progression of the gospel that Jesus lays out in chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria until it reaches Rome, the heart of the empire of man. But but how is it accomplished? Well, it's accomplished through God's witnesses, His people, those who belong to the kingdom of Christ. But more importantly, we see that it's the Holy Spirit who directs this expansion of the kingdom of Christ. We see, we see evidence of that specifically in this passage, where these four men, they're, they're eager to get out there and preach the gospel, but twice they're stopped by the Holy Spirit. They were first forbidden by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in Asia, and interestingly enough, Paul would later plant churches in Asia, but it was not the right timing, and so the Holy Spirit stopped them. And then they attempt to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit again says, no, he'd already predetermined where they would go next. And I think it's interesting that these men weren't necessarily waiting to hear from God. They were, they were moving forward. They were trying different avenues. And I think that was their attitude. Their attitude was, was we're going to be on mission, and if God changes plans, so be it. But in the meantime, we're going to just keep moving forward trying to find a place to preach the gospel. There's, there's a missionary that, um, that Robin's folks had known and, and supported for years, and, and he sends us an occasional letter Um, uh, through Robin to her mom, but we we get an opportunity to read them also. And I want to just take a minute to read one paragraph from his, his letter. And keep in mind, he's a retired missionary, and he's in his late 80s. He's pushing 90 years old. And this is what he says in one paragraph in his letter. He says, I'm still involved in a variety of ministries, including assistant pastor, evangelistic walks for exercise, and giving out tracts and talking to people, occasional teaching and preaching, working with Horizon Education Network, home Bible study with a neighbor, helping at the servicemen's center, hoping they can open up soon again, keeping in contact with a couple of Peruvian pastor missionaries who are helping some of the river churches to come back to life, and seeing good results, praise the Lord writing emails and letters to all the governors and the mayors and police chiefs of major cities, thanking them for their work and giving them the gospel, etc. I don't know why he had to put an etc in there. I think he, he already said enough. <laughs> he says, I keep busy. Thanks for praying for this. Now, now that's a guy who's on mission, right? He's, he's almost 90 years old, and, and I think his attitude is like these four men in this passage. If God changes plans, so be it. But in the meantime, I'm going to just keep moving forward, trying to find a place where I can serve in the name of Christ and preach the gospel. What are you waiting for? A, a sign from God, maybe? You're, you're hoping you can get, get involved in, in ministry opportunities in the church, but you just need to pray about it some more? Maybe you're thinking you just don't want to get ahead of God. I hear that a lot, and I'm not really sure what that means. I don't know if if God is just slow or something. I don't know how you get ahead of God, but I hear that a lot. How about just stepping out in faith? How about just getting involved and serving and ministering where you're at in the church and, and in your sphere of influence with people around you? And let God close the door if he doesn't want you to do something. I think sometimes we're just so afraid that we're going to do the wrong thing, that we actually think that we can mess up God's plans. And you know what? You're not powerful enough to mess up God's plans, and neither am I. We're not powerful enough to do that. It's God who moves people where he wants them to be, to be a minister of the gospel to others, both inside and outside the church. But I think as you develop more of a kingdom mindset, you're going to find that God is going to open more doors than He closes. And let me just add that part of developing a kingdom mindset is seeing the total picture of how the kingdom of God advances and how we're a part of that. It's not simply going out and preaching the gospel. That's a very important part of it. But it's also living righteously in an unrighteous world in a way that proclaims the authority of Christ in every area of life. It's connecting the mundane of everyday life to the mission of Christ so that empty and meaningless, the empty and meaningless has been redeemed by Christ and now has purpose. The gospel brings everything in our lives under the lordship of Christ so that it all becomes part of the advance of the gospel of Christ, of the kingdom of Christ. Our lives should be a living testament to the world, both that Christ saves us from sin And that He redeems every aspect of life and brings it under His rule and reign. And when every aspect of our lives is under the rule and reign of Christ, then everything has purpose and meaning, even the most mundane aspects of life. Doing the dishes, going to work, working in the yard, going to the store. Even the most mundane aspects of life have purpose under the reign and rule of Christ. And so when every aspect of life is under the rule and reign of Christ, we're living out the gospel before the world and we're projecting the rule and reign of Christ onto the world. And we don't have to be Paul and Silas to do that. We can do that right here in our own sphere of influence, in our church and in our families and in our neighborhoods. We don't have to wait to hear from God. He's already spoken and called us to that. And as we do that, we're going to begin to see God opening and closing doors in ways that will expand our influence for Christ in the world. Well, the Spirit of Christ determines where the gospel will go, but he also determines to whom the gospel will go. And so as we look at this narrative, even though the men were not sitting around necessarily waiting to hear from God, Paul actually did hear directly from God in a vision. And this vision was was of a man urging them to go to Macedonia to help them. And Luke says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. As you'll see, the, the Spirit of Christ called them to go where He'd already prepared hearts to receive the gospel. I think it's significant historically That they went to Philippi, it says that in verse uh, verse 12, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, because this woman Lydia would become the first convert on the continent of Europe, and the church at Philippi would become the first church on the continent of Europe. This is the beginning of the expansion of the gospel onto the continent of Europe, which would precede Paul's eventual uh, arrival in Rome. It says in verse 13 and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. And so Paul as he entered a particular city would typically go to the synagogue first on the first Sabbath after he arrived and that's where he started to preach the gospel. He would always he'd hit the city and then as, when the Sabbath first Sabbath came around he'd go to the synagogue and that's where he started preaching the gospel. Now, to have a local synagogue required 10 men, and so it appears that there were very few local Jews, Jewish residents uh, in Philippi, certainly not enough to get the minimum 10 men needed to to form a synagogue. And and so without a synagogue, these these women met by the riverside for prayer. Now, in that culture, it didn't matter how many women were there, you had to have 10 men to, to form a synagogue. So that tells you something about the culture, Right. Well, verse 14 goes on to say, one who had heard us was Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Lydia was likely a, a Gentile convert to Judaism. She had her own business. She was, she was a seller of goods, possibly dye, the dye related to the purple garments which uh, rulers would have worn in that day. And it's, it's likely that she was a person of, of some means. She was probably pretty financially stable. And Luke goes on to tell us that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after that she was baptized in her, in her household as well. Pay attention to that, that little sentence there. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul had said. We're going to come back to that. what do we see in this, what do we see in this picture? Well, first of all, in this culture, women were typically expected to, to adopt the religion, of their husbands. And so for Paul to go directly to these women to talk and share the gospel would have been antithetical to the culture. That would have been unusual. Usually somebody, a religious person going to proselytize would have gone to the men first, not to, not to the women. And I think we can make the point here that the gospel elevates women. Christianity elevates women. In the kingdom of Christ, women are honored. Men and women are co equal heirs of the kingdom of Christ. And Luke points out throughout the book of Acts the role that women play in the advancement of the gospel. The gospel honors both the sameness of women, men and women, both created in the image of God. We're more alike than different. And yet it also honors the differences between men and women, that God created us distinct from one another for his purposes. We're seeing in our society today and its push for, toward egalitarianism that when we move outside of God's created purposes for men and women, then both are denigrated and dishonored. Christianity and the gospel of Christ elevates and honors women. It always has. Well, secondly, I think, I think we see in this passage um, a divine appointment here. The, the, the reason Paul and Silas didn't go to Asia or Bithynia and went to, to Philippi instead was because the Holy Spirit had arranged before the foundation of the world that Lydia would meet up with Paul and his team alongside this river. This was a divine appointment. And he'd prepared the heart of Lydia and her household to hear the message of the gospel and to receive it. This is the work of God. Paul was simply the instrument through which the Holy Spirit delivered the truth of the gospel. But it was God who chose her and placed his seal on her before the foundation of the earth. It was Christ who died for her to pay the penalty for her sins. It was the Holy Spirit who called her to to himself, determined the time and place of her conversion, decreed the appointment of her and Paul by the riverside that would transform her heart to follow Christ. And so in this story, we see that our salvation is the work of the triune God. God is the source of our salvation, not the messengers. Robin had a a gift delivered from Amazon last week for Mother's Day from our daughter who who lives in in Canada. Now, now she didn't write a note to Amazon thanking her for the gift, right? She, She wrote a note to the person who was the source of the gift, our daughter. And I'm thankful for the guy from Amazon who delivered it because he played a role in, in getting it to her. But, but he's not the main character in that scenario, right? He, he's, he's not the source and, and giver of the gift. I'm thankful, and, and we should all be thankful for those in our lives who, who bring the message of the gospel. And I, I, I would imagine just talking about this, you're now thinking about those people that were influential in your lives, and we're so thankful for those people that, that brought us the gospel. But we need to remember who the source and the giver of the gift of salvation is. He's the one who's worthy of our praise and worship. Listen to Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Do you notice the emphasis there? It's on God, right? Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke are not the main characters in this story. They're supporting actors. The main character is the triune God. Now, I think there are a couple of things that we can take from this that that should be comforting to us. First of all, if you know Christ this morning, your salvation is is not the result of some random set of circumstances. It was a divine appointment decreed before the foundation of the world. Because it's wholly the work of God, your salvation is absolutely certain. If our salvation is all of God and nothing of us, then there's also nothing we can do to move ourselves out from under The grace of God. Our our salvation is not only given to us by God, but it's also preserved and guaranteed by God. And secondly, not only are you not responsible for your salvation, you're not responsible for anybody else's salvation. Like Paul and this team of missionaries, you get to be a supporting actor in the advance of the kingdom of Christ. But the advance of the gospel isn't dependent upon you. Or your performance. The outcome is totally dependent upon the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that take a lot of pressure off of you? We proclaim Christ, we, we pray for people, we long for the world to bow their knee to, to the true King of all kings. But the work of salvation is the work of God alone. We can share the gospel, it, we, we, we want to be persuasive when we share the gospel, and, and we want to be convincing. And yet we can do that knowing that God is the one who changes hearts. And, and this truth should help us to, to get out of that Savior mode. I, I think of our kids. We, we often are, sort of have a Savior complex. We want to be their Savior um, with our kids. But, but we're not their Saviors. We're the ambassadors of Christ to them. And we don't have the pressure of, of actually changing their hearts. God will do that. John 6.37 says, All that the Father has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. It is a certainty that the Spirit of Christ will bring the gospel to his elect. Whether they're in downtown Olympia or off on some remote island in in the middle of the Pacific. God appointed the time and the place where you believed in Christ. And God appointed the witnesses who would share the gospel with you. If it was any part of yours or or my work, we would never be certain of our salvation. In in fact, if it was any part of yours or my work, we can be certain that we would lose our salvation, right? Right? But because our salvation is the work of God alone, we are confident in it. All that the Father has given to Christ will come to him. We have the amazing privilege of of being participants in this this push, this movement of of the gospel to the end of the earth and, and seeing people come into the family of God through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But the kingdom of Christ continues to advance through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at this passage, we know that it's the Holy Spirit that's the power behind the gospel. And it's part of God's grace to us that we get to participate in this amazing push and movement of the gospel into the world. But as we consider these men, they seem so confident in the direction of the the Holy Spirit, don't they? And and, and you may be asking the question, how do I know that the Holy Spirit is directing me? Can I have that same level of confidence that, that Paul and Silas had? Well, Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. As Christians, we can understand the things of God that He's freely given us because we have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us as believers. We have the tools to discern between the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of the world. And so if you think this the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is moving you to do something, how do you know it's the Spirit of Christ? How can you be certain that it's the Spirit of Christ? Well, I have three things that I want to just share with you, I think might be helpful. And, And the first is, is it consistent with Scripture? Is what you're hearing or and feeling consistent with Scripture? Scripture is the ultimate measure. Listen to 2 Peter. 1, 16 through 21, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is My beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word made, made more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay, attention to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." And so, so Peter is talking about his experience, witnessing the transfiguration of Jesus. This is, this is what he's talking about. He, he saw first person the glorification of Christ. He saw Elijah and Moses and he, and he heard the voice of God. But what does he say? He says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, the words of scripture is the, the words of scripture are more certain than even the experience that Peter had being an eyewitness to the glorification of Christ. We need to be really careful about our emotions and our emotional impulses. If they don't pass the scrutiny of Scripture, it's not the Spirit of Christ leading you. Is what you're hearing or or doing, or feeling led to do consistent with God's Word? The Holy Spirit isn't going to lead you to do something that goes against the Word of Christ. He's not going to deny himself. If you're sensing the Spirit telling you to do something that's inconsistent with with Scripture, it's not the Spirit of Christ. God's Word is the primary voice you should be listening to, and it's the only voice to measure the other voices that are speaking into your life. So many Christians today are looking for a sign or, or a voice directly from heaven or or some experience, some manifestation of the the Spirit that's going to validate what they actually want to do. And it doesn't matter how miraculous or spectacular the experience you're having, if it doesn't line up with the Word of Christ in Scripture, it's not the Spirit of Christ. Let me just add that if you're not seeking the the will of God in His Word regarding your sanctification and holiness and and your commitment to the rule and reign of Christ in er, every area of life, then then what makes you think that God is going to give you some experience or some sign or, or something miraculous? If you're not seeking God's will in His Word, then you're already committed to not listening to the voice of God. Well, secondly... Is it consistent with the mission of Christ? Is what you're feeling led to do consistent with the mission of Christ? Let's go back to Acts 1, 7, and 8. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus is telling his disciples that the power of the Holy Spirit is, is going to come upon them. Why is that? So they will be witnesses of Christ in his gospel to the end of the earth. There's a, there's a direct correlation between the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life and the mission of Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to empower us to fulfill the kingdom mission of Christ. And any any manifestation, any true manifestation of the Spirit in our lives is going to be for that purpose, to fulfill the mission of the kingdom of Christ. And so is what you're feeling called to going to advance the mission of Christ? Is it honoring and serving the kingdom interests, or is it honoring and serving personal interests? I think some other questions you might ask yourself as you're thinking about, you know, is what I'm being called to consistent with the mission of Christ, will it make much of Christ, or will it make much of you? is it going to build up the body of Christ is it calling people to Christ is it reflecting and proclaiming the lordship of Christ over every aspect of life i think you would do well to ask some of those questions when you're thinking about is it is it aligning with the mission of Christ well thirdly is it affirmed by trusted brothers and sisters in Christ so whatever you feel God is leading you toward must be consistent with Scripture and, and with the mission of Christ. These are certainly our, our first priorities. But, but, but even when our motives and our, our desires to fulfill the mission of Christ are, are clear, there can still be complexities in life that are just too hard to decipher and decisions that made, to be made that aren't necessarily clear. I don't think that means just because something isn't clear doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Um, life is complex. And, and we have complex decisions to make sometimes. And, and, and so I would just ask are you seeking godly wisdom and input from spiritually minded men and women you trust? Are you willing to allow your motives to be tested and your reasons to be tested by others? When Robin and I began to consider moving to Denver, up, uh, uh, from Denver up to the Northwest four years ago, it started with us just talking together and, and praying about it. And actually, to be honest with you, I think it actually started when I mentioned to Robin that I'm thinking about quitting my job. And uh, I would not recommend starting there. That's, <laughs> that, that was not the Spirit of Christ telling me to do that. <laughs> but after things kind of settled down, uh, we started talking about it and, and praying about it. And, and when we reached the, the point where we thought moving was within the realm of possibility... I reached out to the two other elders in the church and told them what we were, what we were thinking about. And so they too could be, could be praying about it. And then we got together with our wives and, and we talked and, and we prayed about it together. And, and as we allowed them to test our reasoning and our motivations, they affirmed that this was from God. And that was so helpful to us. We, we didn't turn the decision over to them, but we sought the wisdom of fellow believers and allowed them to test our reasoning and our motivations, and that helped us to discern whether or not we were listening to the Spirit of Christ or, or were we listening to the Spirit of the age. If you're seeking God's will in His Word and, and desiring to make a decision that's consistent with godly character and with the mission of Christ, and, and if you've sought godly counsel to test your reasoning and your motivations, then, then make a decision and, and rest in it, believing that God is in it. Don't keep wrestling with it. Rest in God's love and care for you. You you have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. He's given you His Word. He's laid out for you His mission and purposes. And He's placed you in the body of Christ with godly wisdom, with other people who also have the Spirit of Christ. And and like with Paul and Silas, he'll close the door if that's not what he wants you to do. So rest in in, in the decision that, that God has led you to to make. Well, as we come to a close this morning, the, the big idea of this message is, is this We have the responsibility and privilege and joy of being participants in the advance of the gospel into the world, but it's the Holy Spirit who empowers and grows the kingdom of Christ. And so I'm going to leave you with three questions to consider about your own participation in the advance of the gospel and of the kingdom of Christ. First question is this, is there anything holding you back from participating in the mission of Christ? When will you step out in faith? Are you willing to step out in faith? Secondly, are you finding rest and joy in the reality that your salvation and others' salvation is the work of God alone? It is not dependent upon you or your performance. Does that give you peace? Does it give you confidence to, to proclaim Christ? And thirdly, are you listening to and obeying the Spirit of Christ? Are you saturating yourself in the Word of Christ so that you can distinguish between the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of the age? And so may God help us to to connect our day-to-day lives to the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. And and may that move us to be active participants in the advance of the gospel of Christ to the world. Let's pray. father we we are just thankful for our time in the word this morning we We want to be participants we want to be active in what you're doing in the world. We recognize that it is our privilege to do that Lord, and uh, because we love you, we want to do that, and we also recognize that it is only through your power that we're able to do it. but Lord, empower us, empower us with your spirit to proclaim christ to to move out and, and be part of this amazing movement of the kingdom of Christ into the world. And uh, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us, visit our website at harborolympia.com or visit us in person on Sundays at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We hope you'll join us this coming Sunday.